0: You're listening to The Retail Razor Show, where your expert hosts and their guests cut through the clutter in retail and retail tech to shape the future of retail.
1: Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, no matter what time of day you're listening. Welcome, welcome to season one, episode one, the first ever episode of The Retail Razor Show. I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar, a top 100 retail influencer and lead partner marketing advisor for retail and consumer goods at Microsoft.
2: And I'm your co-host, Casey Golden, CEO of LuxLock and Slayer of Retail Frankenstacks.
1: Retail Frankenstacks, I love that intro. I really need to get a tagline like that, Casey.
2: Slaying Frankenstacks, it's a messy job. It's earned. Oh, I believe it. So I'm super stoked to kick off our first episode ever of the show.
1: I am too, I am too. So let's talk a little bit about what the show will be like this all started some months ago with the Retail Razor Club on Clubhouse and a powerhouse group of retail experts and thought leaders to just talk retail, talk tech, and host some really good, deep discussions on what we think people in this industry need to make a difference and to be a changemaker.
2: Tell us more, Ricardo. Tell us more. I feel like we need some dramatic music here.
1: Mm, yeah, maybe for episode two, we'll add some budget for dramatic music. So our goal is to cut through all the noise, cut through the clutter, make it all actionable. Let everybody learn from the people who've actually done things. Anyone who's solving challenges and not afraid to expose the hard truths.
2: And best of all, since we started this on Clubhouse, we made it interactive so people could ask tough questions and voice their opinions. We want to hear from you.
1: Hundred percent all the way. This is an open forum, one that really moves the industry forward by sharing deep, deep knowledge. We started an amazing series of rooms, initially called Retail Tech Predictions 2025, but you know, our group quickly earned the nickname, the Retail Avengers.
2: Captain America right here.
1: And I am Iron Man. You know, you're right, Casey. We really do need some dramatic music in here. We got to work on that.
2: (laughs) Maybe by episode three. Next time. Next time.
1: Yeah. Episode three. I'm going to take, make a note of that. Okay. So, In each episode, listeners will hear one of our fabulous clubhouse rooms and we'll bring back guests from those discussions for a few last words, but don't think that's all we have to offer. In future episodes, we're going to introduce new segments, extra guests. And We'll also have some unique interview sessions that we're going to record in another app called Colin
2: can't wait for those so Ricardo who's our special guest for the opening episode
1: we are starting up strong with one of the best out there Ron Thurston, the author of the book retail pride former head of stores at intermix and quite possibly one of our favorite retail executives out there right Casey
2: I'm a fan let's get to it
1: okay. So let's quickly introduce the rest of our Retail Avengers team and everyone will be hearing from them quite often in these sessions. So besides Casey and myself, we have Jeff Roster, fellow Rethink Retail Top 100 Influencer and fellow Advisory Council member at the George Mason University Center for Retail Transformation and former analyst. Then we have Shish Tridhar, the Global Retail Lead at Microsoft for Startups.
2: And Brandon Rail, Transformation Delivery Strategy Leader at Reach Partners, and one of my faves trevor sumner ceo of perch interactive
1: all right so without further delay let's give a listen to the retail avengers and the future of frontline staff part one so with that my name is ricardo balmar i host the retail razor club here at clubhouse i'm a retail tech guy have been in retail tech for the better part of the last two decades, working at various different solution providers and managed service providers. And of course, as we like to say, the best technology in retail is the kind that's seamless and transparent that you don't even notice.
3: Hi, Jeff Roster, co-host of This Week in Innovation and serve on several advisory boards and a former Gartner and IHL retail sector analyst.
4: Hi, Brendan Rill here. I'm currently one of the transformation delivery strategy leaders at Reach Partners, a consultancy. My background extends uh, retail and consumer products industries. I've been working in the uh, strategy consulting space, focusing predominantly on digital and its impact on organizations and helping companies transform and evolve.
5: Hi, Casey here, founder of LuxBlock. We're a retail experience platform and we are deploying an independent workforce and reskilling them. So I love this topic of conversation. Worked a lot in enterprise retail. Retail tech and on the e-commerce side. So excited to be here, you guys! Fun conversation.
0: Definitely will be. Shish. Hi, good afternoon. I'm the retail lead at uh, Microsoft for startups, and I'm actually working on building out a portfolio of retail tech B2B startups solving complex business challenges in retail. Absolutely love the topic that we're talking about today. Looking forward to it. Thank you. I see Trevor has joined us. Trevor, want to do a quick intro? Hi,
6: my name is Trevor Sumner. I'm the CEO of Perch. We do interactive displays and in iot that detect which products you touch and like minority reports they just wake up and start telling you about the product they call them shelf talkers. so i've been deep in retail and retail tech for almost a decade now so excited to be on board with everybody here
1: all right wonderful we have a special guest with us this week ron thurston author of the book retail pride which i highly recommend ron why don't
7: you go ahead and give us your introduction hi everyone thank you Yes, yeah, my name's uh, Ron Thurston, I am the author of Retail Pride, The Guide to Celebrating Your Accidental Career, which is really about recognizing the hard work that the millions of people that work in all of our stores all around the world do every day. And my full-time role is as the vice president of stores of Intermec, which officially today is a freestanding business on its own, no longer under the GAFA umbrella. And so we have a lot of exciting momentum behind us now being privately held and it will be an exciting adventure. And I sit on the board of directors of Goodwill here for New York and New Jersey, which also has a really you know, exciting retail component to it, which I'm happy to talk about. Thanks for inviting me, Ricardo. Fantastic. We're really happy to have you here with us today, Ron. This is a topic that I
1: know many of us on the panel have been wanting to do for a while, and not the least of which right, is because of the added focus that retail frontline workers have seen over the past 15 months. I want to ask everybody on, on the panel, what's the sentiment these days about frontline workers? Has it swung more positive to the point where frontline workers are going to get the recognition that they deserve to have for the job they do and the service they provide to customers and retail brands? Ron, I'm going to ask you to, to respond first, because I'd really like to hear what your feeling is on that.
7: Sure. Thanks, Ricardo. I have probably never been more excited about the opportunity for store teams. And I think as customers have come back in and every day it's getting bigger, the opportunity to recognize in many ways the increased skill set necessary to manage the emotional, the tougher part of retail in conjunction with more tech, in conjunction with higher customer demands and kind of new ways to shop has put this pressure and excitement back into stores. And the training that's necessary, upskill in the hiring process has never been more important. The kind of challenge of the value of the brick and mortar business in compared to e-commerce. This is the time where more than ever, we need highly skilled people that that work in brick and mortar retail and are compensated for that work and the business models that are evolving out of it. And I, I think it's just every day, I'm more excited about what I'm seeing, my own business, and what I'm reading about every day. I could not agree more with Ron. If anything, the, the pandemic has
4: accelerated the recognition of how critical the retail staff are, I'll call them brand ambassadors or store associates and how important they are to running the operation, but building that trusted relationship with the customer. I consider the retail associate part of the last mile of fulfillment. It's not necessarily the product, but of the relationship of the brand, of the brand equity. People go to the store to engage, to get inspired, to discover. And I'm all digital first. We know everyone is digital first shopping and shopping e-commerce. Percentage-wise, still 15% of the business is converted on e-commerce. The physical stores are as critical as ever to bridge that digital and physical gap. And the journey may begin in the store, may ultimately end on the on the retailer's app, but the store associates play such a vital role in that relationship.
5: A hundred percent. One of our biggest goals, which was to deploy an on-demand distributed workforce, and it's been pretty amazing to put a lot of people back to work and, and give them opportunities to sell products that they've never had access to because they worked out of a single brand.
0: I agree with everyone. I think there is going to be a big transformational element to it as well. When I kind of look at the convenience part of retail. There's a lot of things that has accelerated during COVID, BOPIS in particular. And I think that is going to change what uh, the frontline workers do and how to do it. For example, I think There's going to be so much more focus on click-and-collect orders. Because cashless is becoming more prominent and accelerated, I also think assisting the self-checkout will be one aspect that frontline workers will be doing more of. There might also be a lot of clienteling that has accelerated as a result. And also, I think from the experiential part of retail, there's going to be a lot more skills and expertise needed. because. That is leaning more towards that personalized aspect of it, where engaging with customers becomes more more of a requirement.
6: Yeah, I agree with that. I think one of the transformational changes underlying is data, because of the need for real-time inventory and product information for BOPIS for better supply chain management and COVID as an accelerator for that, all of a sudden we've normalized all this data that we can now put in the hands of sales associates. It's not their fault. If you go to a Macy's and you ask a question about what inventory looks like, you know, go look at those screens. They're green screens, right? I think they were programmed with punch cards. Now th- that has all been changing, right? So the data is now available in normalized in format. It's now accessible, not just via tablets and iPads in the hands of sales associates, but even like with theatro in, in in a mic format in an earpiece, so that's one piece of it. The second she hit on around, you know, the experiential being more part of it, and that means being able to do brand storytelling. And while I love the thought that that's all going to be done by Perch and digital tools like that, I, the role of the sales associate is going to be critical.
1: Interesting points there about the added roles for store associates to do, especially in light of things like picking up online orders in the store, other operational processes, even for picking product off the shelf to fulfill those orders. If these are new roles and new, new skills that new functions we're asking those store associates to do and asking them to leverage real-time data about customers they're working with or items in the store, whether it's product information or other operational components. One of the things that you know, I'd like to get into next is what are some of these additional roles? We've mentioned a few now which were brought about by the nature of the pandemic, but what other new roles are we going to see frontline workers in retail taking on? And particularly, what are the required skills? And I'll reference a really interesting article that I believe was in the Wall Street Journal about Levi's offering machine learning training for their retail workers, presumably because it's a recognition that the need to understand data is going to become so much more important in how
7: these frontline workers work with customers. So, what does everyone think of that? I can jump in, Ricardo, it's Ron. I actually think that the width of the skill set has become so wide today that it's kind of become less about we're all cross trained and we're all good in retail. We could work in the stockroom and we can work on the sales floor and we can do visual merchandising. I think it's actually become a little more segmented and said, if I have a skill set, that is highly engaged and motivated, and I'm good on camera for live selling, I'm good in front of customers, I can sell via chat, that you have that level of personality, it's actually fully embracing that and saying, let's give you that kind of customer facing roles or chat roles and not try to expect you to also run out to the curb and do a bopus order and also fulfill a web order in the stock room When can you work an overnight to change the visual merchandising? I think we have to say we have a team of people who are really good at tech, people who are maybe good at tasks and people who are highly customer centric because what's coming, well, the customer coming in today more than ever, wants a level of engagement and has, it's curious, wants to be educated, wants to be styled, wants all the things that they haven't had. And that, that skill is really high. So I'm actually, Even looking at my own organization and saying it's actually less about cross training and more about specialization and being the best version of that specialty based on your skills and your experience and your personality. Because today we're also expecting you to be on Instagram, we expect you to live sell, we expect you to kind of show up every day in a new, most highest version of what that would look like in the past.
6: I really love that. And one of the reasons is because. I think this provides a new sense of career pathing and compensation structures. And so, Ron, I, I would love to, to understand better how you start thinking through that as the head of stores. And, and do you get certified as an influencer or as a live seller? Or, for example, there are technologies where during your downtime, you might do online clienteling and reach out you know, on a one-to-one basis. Are you become a certified personal shopper? And each of these has a course associated with it, some type of certification, some real time training and evaluation, but also uh, better pay, better training, and not feeling like you're stuck in a specific kind of job that's as a generalist with no place to go. I
7: was just going to say, and then having led Apple stores, that's very much the Apple model. You are a specialist in maybe you in phone or Mac or in software. And then your next is kind of even more of a specialty or in training or in Genius Bar. And that every step is a a career trajectory. And so I think in fashion, we've also kind of thought of it as we all have to be good at everything. And I actually think it's more of the Apple model, which is very structured and create benchmarks for growth. So I agree with you, Trevor.
5: I I was just going to say that now that Sales associates are able to sell online and get that commission tracked and productivity tracked. It changes the entire model of every single salesperson is able and has the opportunity to become a million-dollar seller and not make $35,000 a year or $40,000, $50,000 a year. We've seen the most of having what the industry's used stylists for before, which is Doing content on a on an Instagram or putting lookbooks together or working in like a Stitch Fix model and putting outfits or clothes into a box. They're coming to us and they have the passion, they have the skill set, they have the know-how, but they've never talked to a customer before, and so they don't know fit. They just get returns, and so being able to communicate with the client, maintain that relationship over time, and learn fit, we've actually had to start segmenting. Just like Trevor was saying, is We're essentially segmenting talent into different talent pools and putting programs together to bring people who have worked at Stitch Fix for the last six years into being able that they would be skilled enough to walk into Gucci on the floor and do a million dollars in sales. And so it's been really interesting. And I think that there's going to be a lot of differentiation between I'm a stylist versus I'm a salesperson or a personal shopper right now. I can't get a single person to agree on what they want to be called because salespeople don't want to be called a stylist. <laughs> and and, and everybody's a is perception a of those roles, right? Yeah, and everybody's called a stylist on Instagram if you can put an outfit together. So it's like almost diluted that job title almost in a way where, no, I'm more than that. It's been interesting. We're still trying to figure out what what everybody is going to be called. <laughs>
4: I think what Casey speaks to is, is just the transformation evolution of what a store associate really is. I think to Ron's point and Trevor's point, there certainly is distinguishing someone who's doing an operational or or in shelves or whatever else. And the one who actually one not want engagement with the customer is blended with the arts and sciences of social media, digital marketing, and, and
1: micro-influencing. I agree. I think it's, it's a, a fascinating point here about segmenting and the skills. And Ron, I like how you compared that to an Apple model. Uh, one of the things that comes to my mind when I, I hear everyone saying that is it sort of implies a need for more staff in the store as you get more specialized, depending, of course, on what kind of store it is, what format it is, the size of the store, the product categories are in. But if I were to generalize, it, it makes me believe that I'm going to need more staff the more I specialize them to handle each of these different aspects. Uh, and if I compare again to an Apple store, for me as a consumer, walking into an Apple store, there's an overwhelming number of staff.
6: And also think about the revenue per square foot. That too. Exactly. exactly. That's I, another yeah, I think that on a there.
7: really like high-margin business, you, know, that, right,
6: you, you have actually, more room.
7: room. You do have more room
1: for that. Yeah, so you can distinguish between luxury retailers at that point versus a discount or value retailer where the model may be sufficiently different that you don't need to apply that segmentation of, of or specialization of skills.
6: You mean right. it's not going to be stylists at dollar stores? <laughs>
0: I also think there is a you know natural progression where there is a customer expectation which is generally followed by retail tech responding to it. And one of the aspects that's really happening out there is technology is providing capabilities to address some of these things. For example, expertise in stores today there is an expectation for expertise when you go into a store, especially a, a specialized store where electronics or something like that, where you need uh, store associates to have a lot more knowledge. But with technology capabilities, it is possible to sort of democratize that, uh, make available the expertise from different stores right across all of the stores. And those kind of things are really making it possible to to address those expectations
6: as well. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I'm a big fan of is this kind of pushing out of technology to the edge and and certainly I look at this through my perch lens which is we think about the digital experiences guided product storytelling that is available to obviously all the consumers on their own but also the sales associates but similarly if you got an ipad in your hand that's a training device for downtime that's a career pathing and improvement device and you can make the most of the hours that you're in store so i think this pushing technology to the edge and into the fingertips of everyone has the ability for those who have the motivation and the desire to build those skill sets up uh, much more rapidly than what was available to them in the past
7: a bit of a counter- to the more is better is that this is an industry in brick-and-mortar retail that has not always been given the accolades as a career that it deserves. And sometimes this people that are highly committed and highly skilled, and this is very much an intentional career, become that much better at their job. They are retained longer and sometimes it's kind of a quality versus quantity. And so you could actually have a smaller team that's highly skilled, very engaged, works really well under whatever kind of product categories you're selling and the culture of the company, but provide a level of service because of their expertise and their commitment to the industry. And that, I think the kind of temporary nature sometimes of people in stores then requires more of them versus fewer that are highly skilled. I mean, so it's a conversation and a balance that I think every retailer is talking about today. That, I think that's true. I, I agree with you. I like to view the technology
1: piece of that in many cases as a bit of an equalizer, sometimes to address the point you just mentioned about the, the temporary aspect of people coming and going and, and the turnover. In some ways, if done properly and seamlessly enough, I think the technology can help normalize that approach a little bit and compensate for a loss of skill when you have people that leave that were perhaps one of those highly skilled individuals that really knew how to do that job and therefore they could handle working with many customers at once versus perhaps some of the other staff that are newer at the role might only be able to handle one or two at a time depending on the type of store environment that you were in. Uh, I, I want to turn attention over to Evan who's joined us on stage. Why want not you go ahead and give us your question for the panel?
8: Yeah, happy Friday everyone and I'm As you can imagine, most interested in the technology side of retail behind the scenes. I laughed out loud at the reference to green CRT uh, screen flashing. And, you you know, sadly, (laughs) see that far too often. Still see that too often, I agree. Yeah. On the other hand, I talk to a lot of clients who are participating in the kind of digital transformation of retail and I'd love your opinion on who are some of the players to watch. I mean, one I'm talking to a lot lately with is Facebook Workplace or Workplace from Facebook. It's their enterprise communications division. So basically taking all of their messaging and video and apps and tools and enabling your empowering retailers like Petco and Domino's and others to improve the employee experience. So think about group messaging and calling video live video streaming, education, all kinds of analytics around that as well. Are, are you seeing adoption of, of more modern communication tools like that or others, or what's most interesting to you when it comes to real-time communication, messaging, voice, video, or other apps within the front line for the workers?
3: Are we talking about retailers or are we talking about service providers to retail?
8: Yeah, the retailers are adopting a lot of these tools with their frontline employees for employee engagement, employee communications, messaging. We used to call the internet, but it's basically apps on phones now.
1: And so we could look at this from both perspectives,
7: I think, Jeff, from the perspective of which retailers are doing this well and what kind of technology are they using? I, mean, I I can share what I use on today, which is Retail Zipline, which is actually used by Olive Gap Inc., which is an incredible platform and not and is intranet, but it's a communication tool, it's a tracking tool, it's a way to send out quick messages. There's a, a lot of functionality for multiple reasons, but I think within the store team at every level, day in day out, I've actually not seen one that does that comes seamlessly that everyone uses without providing devices to everyone, which is and depending on the state and depending on what's happening, that can be a tricky conversation. But so far, that's what I've seen and has worked really well for me.
5: I'm obviously so, biased, but there's going to be a lot more tools that are going to be coming in over the next 12 to 18 months, just because this was a really hard product to sell into a brand three years ago. A lot of people in this space that wanted to do it had to pivot into doing something else because it was just a hard sell. But now I think that it's going to be a requirement just as standard as having a computer at work if you have sales associates and they're going to have to have a tool. So I think we're going to see more of a standardized tool that's going to be coming out that more brands will start using the same one. But right now everybody's kind of spread all across the board and there's reasons that brands are choosing one over the other. There hasn't really been one that does everything necessarily, doesn't necessarily even do everything well, but. Obviously, I'm biased with my own, but there's pros and cons to kind of everything right now. Uh, I think we'll see the leader next year.
0: And a lot of examples that I've seen, uh, one of them is a startup that I'm working with called AskSid. They have a little QR code on wine bottles or on, on the shelves, and customers can scan it, and it instantly brings an expert uh, to them, and they can ask questions, have a conversation. So this is one way that retailers have actually really figured out how can they have experts in every store that knows their wines really well without necessarily staffing every store. Another example I've seen is for call centers itself where the expertise that they wanted to provide was through a chatbot. So when a customer calls a call center, the challenges the call center person is looking up information, there's a lot of delays, they're firing up an app in the background, doing a search, trying to find the answers to the question the customer wants. So what they're doing to empower this is... There is a chatbot, an AI-based chatbot that is picking up the customer call at the same time in parallel to the human operator. And the chatbot is transcribing the call, learning the intent of the questions that the customer is asking, connecting to back and showing it to the call center operator at the same time. This essentially means that the call center operator is far more intelligent in its responses, is able to respond very quickly, and efficiently to the customer. So that was one area from a communications perspective that I thought was very interesting. A third one is really empowering the store associates. And and today there's many companies that provide communication devices. For example, there's a company called Teatro that does a headset-based communication device for store associates. I love Teatro. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, I love their solution. Yep. Turnpike, uh, Turnpike is out of Sweden and they have a wearable they actually wristwatches that send information over to the store associates and it's generally far more discreet and store associates can actually use those communication devices to talk to systems in the back end. So if they have a question about do we have a certain product in stock right now, they can ask a chatbot. The chatbot will look up the systems instantaneously and be able to give the responses and this again I think is another thing that's really transforming the frontline worker in a way, making them far more efficient with tools like this. Hey, hey, hey,
3: uh, hang on on a sec, Trevor, let let me follow up on that question. Are you doing anything with voice, voice AI?
0: Yes, so there is a lot of, I would say, controversy around voice. So in terms of voice, for store associates, the, the one scenario that I talked about last was one where store associates are actually using their headsets, to talk to a chatbot. So if a customer is looking for a certain product, typically what they would do is radio someone in the back room to say, do we have that in the back room? Or is it an order or something like that? But in this situation, they're actually using voice to talk to a chatbot that is connecting to backend systems to determine if something is in the back room, if it is an order, if it's in a nearby store. And it is providing the response by voice immediately to the store associate. And and that to me is extremely powerful where the store associates are empowered with all that information that they're using voice queries to, to query backend systems.
3: How about sentiment or sense of either happiness or, or urgency in, in voice? I'm actually going to be talking to a couple of startups that are actually going to that level of sophistication.
0: So in call center, there is, I've seen uh, situations where when someone calls a call center and the operator is talking to that person, there is AI models that the chatbot that I was talking about earlier, that it's transcribing the call, looking at the intent of the questions. At the same time, it is also detecting the sentiment of the speaker. So if there is frustration, for example, it will detect that, and it will notify the call center supervisor that here's a call where there's potentially a problem and you want to listen into or you want to intervene. So it's actually detecting all of that. Yeah, interesting. We are
4: also considered the human element of the organization and the frontline associates or or ambassadors, how we want to refer to them, the stylists. The other ones' interacting with the customers, and technology you're, you're all referencing is innovative is uh, it's right up there and, and it's on, on trend, and everything needs to be powered by AI, AI AR, virtual reality, all critical components of driving personalization. But so has to be done in a way that's seamless, intuitive, and drive driving adoption rate by the uh, store associates or stylists in a way that does their their ability to effectively serve the customer and effectively provide an outstanding customer experience in-store and connect that digital aspect of it as well and help drive conversions as customers come to the store for
1: advice, for engagement, for building connection to the brand. Yeah, there's an interesting element there. I'm reminded of. Uh, one retailer I talked to a few years back who was deploying devices just as we're talking about. and. Some of the feedback they had uh, from their associates in the pilot stores is that they were starting to feel like Batman wearing a utility belt because they were being asked to carry all this technology everywhere they went around the store. That tells us there's a threshold somewhere where it becomes too cumbersome to just hand over technology to the associates that way. I think that's a, a consideration. Brandon, maybe that's what you're getting at as far as paying attention to the human component of this. You can't just ask a store associate to say, here's three devices you need to carry around mm-hmm. all day to do these three different tasks, right? There has to be a little bit more thought behind how transparent the technology is and how seamlessly it can be incorporated into their workflow Correct. in a way that makes that. Correct. And we've seen job, right?
4: companies uh, do clientele and, and all these uh, features try to streamline it to one app or one iPad or mobile first. Uh, and it's worked right. uh, in most most situations. But again, it has to be connected to the customer empowering the store, store associate and driving an outstanding customer experience and i'd love to hear ron's perspective on that how technology can help the store so we should drive a outstanding customer experience
7: yeah no thanks brandon and you're exactly right and i think the ex- experience that is most i think recognized and celebrated by the customer is how much history you have So the idea of in clienteling which the facts show the the average spend is that much higher the retention rate is higher the return rate is lower, like the, the benefits are enormous. But if you can say to someone, oh my gosh, like let me quickly look at your per- purchase history on my phone, on my iPad that I have in my hand. Wow, it looks like you were here last month and this is what you bought. I have some things I know you're going to love. And so you, you begin this relationship building with facts and with information that arms you to provide an exceptional experience. And so the technology kind of in your pocket provides you information and then you can go and then the client is entirely engaged because they feel seen and heard they know that their business is appreciated you can say that kind of along the way i'm so glad that you came back i'd really love to help you build on those wardrobe pieces or add that that other you know technology piece to your last purchase here at apple so there's there's a lot that can happen with technology that just supports relationship building and all of the data in how that benefits an overall company is all positive there's no downside to it when done well other than overwhelming the store team and that's where i think you can dial back and say well actually who's really good at this let's arm them this person actually is much better just converting on the sales floor doesn't Mm -hmm. need to um, have the full deck in front of them so i think great leaders can look at that i do on my own using hero and chat functions and who does consignments, who converts, who sells more, you can dial in and it's not one size fits all. And that's where people really, that retention piece starts to escalate because you would say, thank you for recognizing that I'm actually not comfortable using this technology, but I'm really good doing this. Let me do this more. That's a winning formula to retaining your team, building great client relationships and growing your business. But that's where I I put a lot of effort and time today, and, and I believe that it really pays off. That's not even advice specific to retailers' organization, but many
1: businesses adopt that approach and let's call it company culture around how to encourage certain behaviors and how to reward people who are doing the job the best way they can, and also to create an environment that promotes this ability to do better and do more, whether it's with technology or without, because that really isn't the point, right? This comes back to your earlier point, Ron, about more specialization and segmentation in the skills and the roles within the store. All of this plays together into building that better company culture that fosters an environment that encourages this kind of activity and rewards people in these roles because they're filling a really important need for the retailer.
7: Yeah, and I think that's where we had sometimes dug ourselves into our own trap of saying everyone needs to be good at everything. And then it be kind of become, become a generalist at, at all of it. And and the the customer's ability to remember their experience is diluted because no one really stood out in their mind. But we created that ourselves. We created this kind of generic retail, you know, everyone's nice, so are you finding everything okay? And then you walk away. And that kind of generic version of retail you know, Steve Dennis likes to talk about, is what got us in trouble. And so that's why I'm saying it's it should not be generic. It should actually be very specialized. We should hire people with specialty and invest in them and be better at what you hired them to do. And those are the people when you see NPS surveys that mention people by name, and right. I see it every day. You don't go home and write a survey about your experience and reference people's names. If you didn't have an experience that created, you know, it's not through a business card in your shopping bag, you remembered their name because you were so engaged. That's what happens when you invest in them. And then they deliver that to the customer. And it's, it's like this winning cycle, but not everyone plays that game. And that is so much fun because you see it in your business. And that's what we're all trying to reestablish today in our industry. That is so well said, Ron. It's all about embracing the
1: uniqueness and the skill set that you're bringing into the environment and into the team and encouraging more of that uh, to make the entire team better. And ultimately, that's reflected in the revenue that you're going to generate through that team because they're such a critical part of that process. Uh, I brought a few more folks up on stage. Jeff, I'm going to go to you next. What was your comment for us? Yeah, thank you.
4: I'm an owner of brick-and-mortar retail buildings. I'm a landlord, but I'm also a consumer. And something that Trevor said, which was interesting to me, is that his goal is to create engaging content for consumers that would draw them into the store, but giving them a lot of information to really engage them. So what I wanted to find out about frontline workers, how do you make sure that the frontline worker knows more than the consumer does when they walk in the store because the consumer has the ability to
6: research ad nauseum about the products they're going to shop for I think that's a great question. I, I think about that often, right? Like 70% of shoppers think that they know more than the sales associates because they have access to that very data. So I think there are a couple different ways to think through this. One is making sure you've got all the learning management systems for your sales associates. But the other way to think about it is to really think through proprietary tools that walk you through the category. Most of the content out there is product by product. And What I'm seeing a lot of is digital tools that are being deployed in store and online to do a needs analysis and walk you through the category. I'll give you an example. If I'm buying a drill at Home Depot, you got all the drills on the shelf, but how do I pick a drill? Oh, oh, this is this many watts and this is that many watts. And great, well, what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know the difference between the wattages and what will I be able to do or not be able to do. What walk me through? Like, what do I need this drill for? Is this just like hey, Trevor just needs to make sure not to call the handyman too much, you know, and, and to look good in front of his wife that he can fix some things? Or is Trevor really into home improvement projects that needs to do a lot of serious work? And so thinking through a category-type uh, tour and a needs analysis and providing some of these proprietary tools, I think will create a type of guided experience that ends up lending itself in a differentiated way to what you can find on
3: And I also think we're really getting to a, a paradigm where we shouldn't expect store associates to know more than, than customers coming in if it's a, a passionate purchase. When I bought my kayak, I knew probably more about that. I guarantee you I knew more about that kayak that I settled on than the REI associates because I researched it. I spent days researching it. And so I think we're sort of at that point where retailers just have to be comfortable with sort of that, that maybe shift in knowledge and, and accelerate and work with that and not necessarily try to fight against it.
7: That's very interesting. Thank you. Yeah, and I think Apple, again, does a really nice job of putting so much effort into training. And yes, clients come in all day. And I remember when I joined Apple as a store manager, the launch of iPhone 2. And I was really nervous about, I don't know how this is going to work. And the the calming kind of words are, customers will always know more than you do about the product. People are obsessed with this brand but to say, you know what, I don't know, but I'm gonna find out. I'm gonna help you learn how to use this. I'm gonna find someone who's an expert in this particular skill of what you're looking for. And if you can say, you know what, I don't have any idea how to do that, but I'm gonna find someone that does, can calm it down, and the customer's like, great, you know, happy to make that happen. So I also think we don't always wanna put so much pressure on ourselves, everyone in every store has to be an expert in everything. It's not realistic, but we can just drill down and think about expertise and putting the right people with the right customers for that specific ask. That applies in all of our business, including fashion for me. And I love this idea of it's Every experience should be unique and individual based on what the customer came in looking for. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Critical to delivering a great service that you want to have in your store. So Jeff, thank you for for that question. Tim, you have a comment or question for us? Yeah. The
4: question I wanted to ask you was when we think about retail and we think about employment, frontline workers in retail, there's an enormously high uh, turnover rate, as well as some studies suggest a very low engagement rate. And I was wondering if you were aware of any progress or any meaningful innovations or any changes. In recent
7: years, on those two fronts, hi, Tim. To answer your question on on evolutions of this, great part about some of the technology that we're talking about that there are ways to survey teams more quickly. So there's apps like Butterfly that where you can you're in constant contact of how how are you feeling today kind of on a on a scale of different faces or on numbers how are let's check in with you about how you're feeling which is a really important component to emotional leadership today emotional intelligence so you're kind of constant checking in and feeling connected but i think more importantly than anything the the quality and the intent of retail leadership today at the store level specifically but you know, at, at, in the multi-store space, that all of us today in any kind of retail leadership that touches store teams and has influence on that experience, it is really our responsibility to do that in a way that is more emotionally engaged than ever before. And I think the idea of store visits that are checklists of numbers and store operations and audits and things that seem very tactical are really a thing of the past. And today, I was in stores all week, and what I did was spend time on the floor, talking to the teams, engaging with customers side by side, learning how how they feel, learning how they're experiencing the mask challenge of week two, and what it all means. And that actually goes a really long way to engaging with those teams and say, I really appreciate that Ron spent the day on the floor with selling with us today. And I was able to answer ask questions and I was able to get solutions and hear what's happening at the company today. We just have to be closer than we've ever been before to what's really happening face-to-face with the customer. And we have to listen and learn and act and engage and be curious more than ever before. And that's, that's what will change our industry and that's how teams are retained and you, you learn. I, I come back to the office today. With, armed with so much information about spending the week on the sales floor and about how people really feel. And I can pretty much guarantee that those people I engage with are happy that someone listened to them this week.
4: That's an um, so I hope that
7: answers your question.
4: I think that's an interesting perspective. I mean, that is, if I'm hearing you correctly, it's the idea of using that customer feedback as kind of a motivator uh, for the employees. And you mean something to be celebrated, something to be highlighted but it's that kind of positive feedback to get and encourage uh, more out of the employee base.
7: Yeah. I actually think the employee feedback is more important than customer feedback sometimes. So that's the first thing that I would ask is how do you feel? How was your experience working here right now? How do you feel having the mask conversation? It's uncomfortable. Let's do this together so that you can feel more comfortable when someone comes in and wants to have a more difficult conversation. So their feedback about their experience as an employee drives the customer experience that drives the business. And that's why we talk about surveys are being really close to them. That's what's going to change the game.
6: Hmm.
4: Hmm. I think Did this you... ties back yeah. on to outstanding employee experience, leads to outstanding customer experience. And yeah. they can stay one step ahead of this empowered customer who has access to data, to other brands, to social media channels, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, that's getting one step ahead of them and really personalize things. So but that should be at the heart of any retail operation. And Ron,
1: Ron certainly embodies that with this company. That's a pretty in- impressive approach. And I, and I say that, Ron, because have, listening to you describe how you've gone and collected that feedback on the floor, it r- reminds me of many retailer conversations that I had in years past. And uh, Tim may even remember some of these is in full disclosure for the, the audience here. Tim and I used to work together and he may remember that being in some retailer meetings where we would ask them the question, when was the last time you were walked your store floor and, and understood both your customer and employee experience? And there were, I think, too many times that I remember being met with blank faces when, when asking that question. And I always thought to myself and wondering, how could they not have had a response for that? How could we be in a room full of retail executives that didn't have an immediate answer as to not only when was the last time they did this, but what kind of feedback did they get? It would seem, I would expect this is something you should know because you're not going to be able to improve on your associate's environment. You're not going to be able to improve on that customer experience without ongoing feedback. And I, I don't think it's sufficient to claim that the feedback process could just be asking customers to fill out a, a response form in an email post transaction or asking employees to do the same thing at the end of their workday. So, oh, please go in and fill out this survey form to tell us how the day went. You really want to get
7: that direct one-on-one feedback to really understand exactly how things are going. And I would just add store teams know that. And when decisions are made in the C-suite by people who have not spent time in stores and it impacts them, that's where the problem lies is in the turnover happens because the, the response is, well, do they not understand what we do every day, how hard this is? The conversations that we have to have and the workload that happens every day in brick and mortar stores, there's an assumption that people that sit in our leadership chairs don't understand that. And if you can demonstrate your at least willingness to show up and listen, you may not be able to solve every problem. But If you just show up and you say hello, I went to Greenwich the other day and some new team members and just to be able to sit in the morning, have a coffee, listen, where did you work before? Oh, like that will keep them going for months. And it was very little effort on my part and a huge return. And that's what all of us in leadership, we have to do that more. And particularly today, they're in a very difficult situation of being customer engaging, not only last year, it's still hard today. And that's why I just encourage everyone be as close as you can to the people doing the work. Technology aside, the human conversation goes a
0: really long way. Yeah, That's a great point. Uh, Also, from the employee perspective, one of the things I'm I'm looking at is stores are putting more emphasis on customer engagement and employees spending more time with customers versus doing mundane jobs. And, And that's another transformation I'm seeing where automation comes in. A very common example that I'm seeing in terms of automation is on-shelf availability, where almost every retailer is automating that. In the past, there was employees going around and and making sure that the products are on-shelf. And today, they're looking at cameras and sensors to do that job so that the store associates can spend that time engaging with customers rather than doing that.
1: Yeah, that, that is absolutely an interesting point, and we could probably fill another room just on that topic alone and going through the uh, reality versus perceptions right, of automation, uh, AI, machine learning, and what does that mean towards other jobs, whether we're talking about frontline staff or other roles within a retailer organization, where, where is the balance being drawn between those, those areas? Uh, so thanks Tim. That was a great topic to touch on. Yeah. Uh, what was your question or comment for us? Welcome to the to the stage.
8: Actually the last conversation is going to be a perfect segue for my question, which is
7: how does the frontline associate become more useful, I guess, in helping the whole company understand the why of best sellers and worst sellers? Ron is describing these great interactions between sellers
4: and customers that are data driven about past history and prior purchases. So when the customer buys something, the system captures all the hard information. What it doesn't capture is the why. Why was something a bestseller? Why was something a worse seller? Nobody sets out and puts worse sellers in the stores to begin with. So what happened? It's a great question, and I think that that's where the social selling aspect comes in. That the sentiments, could be the emotional, multi-sensory sentiments, can come through through Instagram and Twitter and other feedback that that, loop that will retailers will receive from the customers, and if not captured within the transactional systems, ERP systems, etc., that like social commerce and digital marketing is where that sentiment lies. So, I it's a very complex challenge to capture all the emotional sentiments but uh, that might be a
0: place to start i totally agree i think it's a data challenge many of the retailers that i work with look at the other influencing data factors that will tell them why something a bestseller and this could be anything from the demographics around a store and the correlation of a certain product or brand with that demographic being the cause it could be something going viral on the internet it could be other factors and influences that make something a bestseller. And a lot of times it is the inference models that they build from the combinations of data. And that typically is one of the approaches that many retailers use. Yeah, and it's Ron. I would just add, I think again,
7: Jeff, the more we can engage with the sales teams that are selling the product, the better. So there's definitely feedback that can come through customers on Social, or maybe it's live selling, and you can capture information via chat. There's a lot of ways to learn. But my office sits right out in front of the design team for our own private label at Intermix, and you know, I, I spend a lot of time with them about this is what I've seen, this is what I've heard. Let's bring a team of New York stylists into the office and give you feedback from sketch review. Like I, I'm, we're doing walkthroughs on sketches before they even become samples before. Fit before production. Like we stayed so close to it every step of the way, so that we try to minimize the risks and the misses. And I recognize that that's a small business compared to many people on this phone, but it's important that at every at every part that we've listened and we've learned and we've acted accordingly. And I think the benefit from that is enormous.
0: Great, thanks, Ron. All
7: right, thanks, Jeff, for that good
1: question. good good discussion topic. Amanda, what is your question or comment for us?
9: Yeah, hello. Thank you so much for the opportunity to join the stage. I know that the wave of the future has been to the point of the topic of the room, the future of frontline staff and how that's been sort of disappearing. We had, for example, Amazon Go and Rock Center, where there is nobody to basically check you out, and how now we have tech companies pivoting off of Amazon, like Facebook, who is looking to have the live shopping Fridays and things like that, where, again, it's not totally eliminating what we want to call a checkout. There's a human being involved, but, again, it's online, so you still have the tech aspect. But So what I wanted to present to the panel and hear your thoughts on is what about the customer of, for example, a Lululemon, where their core is assisting the customer, what they like to call is more educating their customer on the fabrics and on the brand of things of that nature so i'm curious to hear your thoughts on companies like that as the world's going to this really tech and to the point of the room you know future frontline staff if they start disappearing what happens to companies and retailers like uh, lululemon will they survive if we start seeing less and less of these how do you see companies like that weathering this sort of tech storm that's coming on the uh horizon there
1: Thank you for bringing up this uh, topic. Where, where are we headed in the reality of more automation versus human interaction in the way frontline staff operationally works in a store, as well as interacts with customers, as well as what's a customer preference going to be? If we think about our consumers and what they expect when they come to the store, I think a lot of this depends on what the brand relationship is with the consumer. I would argue that for Lululemon, there is a consumer expectation that when they come to the store they know they can count on the staff there. Would that same customer have a similar expectation if they knew that they were going to be greeted by, you know, some kind of AI or a bot or some other automated process instead of a human being? I don't know that that would meet the customer's satisfaction for a brand like Lululemon. I think it becomes a differentiator. So while there could be a discussion in a boardroom at Lululemon that says, you know, is our labor cost getting too high? Do we need to balance... Are rising labor costs with some form of automation to handle certain customer interactions, I think they're going to conclude that they can't just ignore this aspect. I think that the filter you can apply to this is to say, is the brand relationship purely transactional? If it is, then chances are a lot of that relationship could be replaced with automation. And so the retail, that's probably a cost-saving exercise at some level. If that relationship is not purely transactional, if it's really based on what I think everybody on the stage would define as a real brand relationship where there's an emotional connection for the customer, I, I personally don't believe that those relationships can be easily replaced with automation in that way. I think it requires a person to be involved and I think it's required from the customer's point of view, but would younger generations be more okay with the thought of being greeted by some form of AI or automation rather than a human being versus uh, an older generation. I don't know that I can predict, but I think that would just be another interesting way to look at it.
3: I love that question so much because I get asked all the time is, so what is retail doing? Literally, they're doing everything at all all the same time. So when I start thinking about the role of automation and AI, there's clearly going to be a very significant chunk of retail that is going to embrace that. And there's going to be clearly another chunk of retail that's not. It's going to be high touch, high experience, and the best example I can point to right now is In N Out Burger. In N Out Burger has always paid well above market rate for, for really fast food jobs, and people go there, me included, literally go buy far cheaper solutions and sit in pretty darn long lines because we want that experience. And I love the fact that people like that experience, and I love the fact that a retailer has created an opportunity for fast food workers to actually become real career opportunities. And a whole lot of people that are going to be running companies in 10 or 15 or 20 years really got their start there under that training. So the answer is we're going to see, it's going to be, the future is going to be all of the above. The key thing is what do people want and what do people want from their retail experience? That's also going to be the big driver. So if, if all of a sudden the next three or four years, people say, you know, I like the, the human touch. I don't want to be greeted by an AI. Retailers will respond. I think there clearly will be a lot more automation. and There's clearly going to be a lot more people involved.
7: I definitely agree with Jeff. I think it will depend on the business. But I would say today, where we sit in the way the client is behaving, that her expectation of engagement and the time spent in the store and the um, amount of energy that goes into these very human interactions has never been higher. And, and that may be a surge of having spent 18 months online and really craving that human interaction, but I don't think it's going to completely pendulum swing the other way. I think there will always be a need for great, human, engaged, you know, selling, educational retail. And for me, that, that the best version of that, not just in luxury, will be the ones that kind of set the bar for how this industry evolves. Yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on. You
1: need to be paying attention to what your customers expect uh, with respect to technology and automation. And if you're not responding accordingly, then you're you're not likely to keep those customers uh, in the future. And I think that's a critical component of that so when it comes to the future of frontline staff. I think there's so many other aspects around automation that we haven't even touched on in today's session. So I think we'll use this point to close out the room. Ron, I wanna thank you for having joined us today. I I love hearing your insights and perspective on frontline staff. I wish that more retailers would take the viewpoint that you have as to how they run their retail business and how they look at their employees as a critical part of that business. So really appreciate you being here with us today. It was my pleasure,
7: anytime. Thanks, Ricardo. Thanks. We Hope to have you back soon. You got it.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We're here with our special guest, Ron Thurston.
2: Welcome to the show, Ron. Always a pleasure.
7: Thank you. Good to see both of you. See, hear, all of it. Good Good to be here. All of the above. So yes. Ron,
1: that Clubhouse session was a few months back. And I know you've been quite busy since then and have some new projects brewing. But I'm going to keep our listeners in suspense on that for a little bit. Let's dig in a bit more on some of the topics we just heard about. When it comes to frontline staff, What are your top takeaways for retail execs today? What should they be doing in in light of, you know, the labor shortages and everything else happening right now?
7: Yeah. So we, you know, this is a very interesting time in the industry from, from many different angles, from a supply chain, from a kind of unpredictable traffic patterns to hiring, to culture, kind of new product ideas. It's a fascinating time in our industry. And I, I think, what I would recommend is that all of the answers to the tests are within the four walls of your brick and mortar businesses. And that the more time you can spend in stores and ask questions, kind of dig into, well, what is the customer saying? What is the customer feeling? What is their response to, to product? What does 22, 2023 look like for your customers? How are they expecting to live their life? All, all of that can be found in the four walls of your store by your teams who are engaging with customers every day. And I do think we rely often on the corporate side too heavily on kind of the data behind and, and kind of all the CRM insights, maybe NPS, certainly sales and traffic. And we, we try to build a story with data. And I think that's really important. But the teams in stores today have been on the front lines since early last year and are still now on the front lines. And the more time you can spend in stores just saying thank you and listening and sharing strategies and engaging those teams, That is the solution to part of the hiring challenge of be a brand that is this merge of the worlds of headquarters and stores, which for the three plus decades I've been in retail and and Casey would certainly back me up on this, is that it's not always the most collaborative relationship. And it's actually never been more important to be as collaborative and engaged and grateful than today with those store teams because they are representing the face of your brand and it has not been an easy year for them.
1: Yeah, I think we uh, even I touched agree. on that right in the in the clubhouse too, right? That you gotta have, yeah. you know, when's, it's like at, when you walk into a meeting with retail executives and you ask them, when was the last time you walked into your store and talked to the team?
7: It's true, I mean, I was on stage a couple of weeks ago at a conference that was primarily C-suite and my message was every single one of you in this room if you have a store in New York city, you need to leave this conference and go visit a store. And that seems like a, a strange thing to request from someone like me, but and like, they wanna see you. They, and they don't want the show. They wanna see you and want you to say thank you. And that's it. And I want you to be grateful for what those teams have going through because many of those brands are not back in the office full-time, maybe a couple of days a week. And store teams don't have that choice. And the more that we can just be grateful, then those employees go out and tell their friends of like, oh, the CEO of the company just stopped by tonight after a conference, maybe because Ron told them to. And <laughs> like, then they tell their friends of like, wow. And he sat down and he listened and he asked some questions. And he got back to me and said, thank you so much, Casey, for what you shared. Based on that, we're gonna do something differently. What that does to empower store teams, and that shares their love of working for that brand is immeasurable. And the minute you come into New York City and they know you're in town and you go to a conference and you you jump, they know that. I've been on the other side. I've been that guy who was waiting for a visit because the CEO was in town and it didn't happen. I, I just think we've got to take sometimes our title off and and just get human again.
2: I agree. So many times I woke up because I was excited to see my customers and I loved them and they loved me. I liked the brand. I loved my job, but I got out of bed because I had clients coming in today and I was so excited to see them. And there's nothing better than to know that corporate appreciates that energy, yeah. you know? And that you are caring for their customers. Ron, how do you approach technology initiatives when it comes to the frontline staff? We can't just hand over new tech to sales associates and hope for the best, or actually we can, <laughs> but how do you incorporate that feedback from the store teams and, and really look at enabling them to be able to sell, be able to adopt technology, but a lot of times it's counter counterintuitive.
7: Yeah. You know, I would kind of go back to what I had just referenced before, you know, that adoption of, of new technology is at its best when you have built it based on feedback from the people that are going to use it and say, what, what do you need to do your job better? So if you could have anything in the world, what, what is the hardware? What is the software? What's the experience? What do you need to be the best version of yourself in your role and for your customers? And then you build that or you go and find that and, and provide it. So I think what often then has happened, which I've seen myself, is technology or the theory of what, what the C suite thinks the stores need is then delivered. And the store is like, I, I don't, what is this for? I don't understand. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't need this. And so the adoption rate is low, and then brands are frustrated. And like, it's this circle of negativity and instead say, how can I, as a leader support you? What can I provide for you? Well, great. Thank you for your feedback. We're going to go back and bring some, some ideas, but I'd love for you to come into the office with several of your peers and let's whiteboard this, or let's talk about this. And then let's use the six of you just making stuff up as the pilot source for this. Mm -hmm. And let's pilot with you and capture your feedback, and then pivot. And then we're going to roll it out to ten more. And then we're going to roll it out to a hundred more. And you're going to be the leaders of training and rolling this out to your peer group, because you're the users of this product. Like, if you did all of that, if every new technology that was introduced in stores was done that way, the adoption rates would be through the roof. Because right, they I, mean, I mean, I'm coming from they the tech
2: side and. We I I would never build anything without my users because we talk to end users and it's so much of it's so much of a a tech culture and maybe a Silicon Valley culture that's been there that you call and talk to your end users, you don't call corporate. You you go down to your end users and you talk to them on a regular basis and get that feedback and ask them to whiteboard. But gosh, could you imagine sales associates being, being invited to corporate, to whiteboard?
7: I mean, it seems like a dream, but it actually should be the reality. It should and be the norm. I, I, I've, it should be the norm. I've done that you know, when I've had the opportunity. And I can speak from experience that the buy-in from that is enormous because then it's like, actually, we didn't need this or we need more of this. Or this functionality is how we've kind of scrapped this together on our own. So build that in. And so all of the different systems of like how we're hiring. Um, so I'm involved with a couple of different platforms around embracing the gig economy workforce with retail teams on demand, video-based hiring platforms. You know, like we're solving for solutions. We're solving for problems that exist in stores because no-show rates on job interviews are really high in stores, candidates that are asking for flexible work schedules today more than ever, then let's provide a solution that actually solves the problem. Don't just throw your hands up and say, well, nobody wants to work in retail and work because I'm hearing that in the news. And in fact, that is entirely false. They don't actually want to work in a way that they've been asked to work for the last decade. They want to work in a way that's right for them and for you. But you have to, it's your responsibility as the brand to find the solution, not for the candidate to bend over and say, sure, like, no problem. I'll work every, every weekend for the rest of my life. Like not, not an option anymore.
1: Yeah. It's amazing how all of these things, whether it's technology or anything else in this industry, we forget about the human factor and how important that is in just about every aspect of the business. Right. So, Ron, exactly. last question for you. I'm curious who do you think is doing this well? Who do you hold up as the example that other retailers should follow or at least look to as setting the standard for how they support their
7: frontline staff? Mm. You know, I, I love this question, Ricardo, because there's no answer. And <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what <laughs> you might you why. Say that. <laughs> Because, you know, everything that I've just spoken about is. There are great, brand, great brands who have unlimited funds, who have built infrastructures of um, really great stores, who have incredible store managers, who motivate a team, can recruit and hire, can develop their team to next, can engage with customers and have high NPS scores and probably really good results. And that same brand can have a store manager that's not doing any of those things and is not as motivated and not as inspired and may not be a great recruiter and is probably delivering average results and it's for the exact same company. And that the, the company doesn't always dictate that every, doesn't say every store is going to be great. What the true root of that is lies in the, in the hands of the store leadership team and they have the biggest influence on the impact. And there could be brands that you have perceptions that maybe are not the greatest places to work. And you know, I don't wanna call any of them out, but maybe they're discount retailers, maybe like low price retailers, pharmacies. You think, wow, like that doesn't seem great. I will tell you, I get messages from people, brands like The Dollar Store and TJ Maxx that have read Retail Pride, who would then come back and tell me how much they love working at the dollar store and how mm. proud they are to work at the dollar store and that how excited they are to go to work every day. And it's because they have really great leaders in that particular store. I can't speak for the company because I'm sure there's some stores where the employees are in a chat room somewhere talking about how horrible it is. But there are also those probably districts and stores full of great people who love what they do. And the company doesn't dictate that. And you think we have to put that power and energy back into stores again and say, you are the owner of this business. Your name might not be on the door, but you are entirely responsible for what happens to every customer that walks in the store today. It's not the company, it's you. And when you say that to a store manager of, like, I'm giving you the power to represent this brand and the team around you, and I'm here to support you, magic happens. And I firmly believe that it's never about the brand. It's about the people you hire and how you inspire them and the culture you create around it. And I love that it's that there aren't winners or losers. It's that everybody can win. It's just giving them what they, what they, the tools they need to do that.
1: It really is all about how you empower them in the end, right? And how you enable everyone to do their best.
2: Well, Ron, it's never enough time, but always a good one. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> My
1: it's really-
7: pleasure. Anytime.
1: Yeah, it's really a pleasure. I wish more retail executives took the same viewpoints that you're spending so much time and energy kind of spreading the good word about. It's really refreshing and uh, inspiring, I-, I think, for everybody in the industry. Uh, we're really looking forward to having you come back for episode two where I think you'll have some other announcements to share maybe as a a quick tease for our listeners.
7: Amazing. Thank you so much. I look forward to it.
1: And with that, I want to take this time to thank everyone who joined us on stage on clubhouse and asked Ron and the panel questions. So a big thank you to Mr. B2B tech influencer himself, Evan Kerstell, to Jeff brand managing partner of brand partners, Tim Tang from Hughes, Jeff sword, CEO of merchandising metrics, and analytics and data science expert and influencer, Amanda Fetch, thanks to all of you. And with that, it's time to close out our first ever episode.
2: If you enjoyed our show, please consider giving us a five-star rating and post a review on Apple Podcasts. Hit that subscribe button in your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a minute. Wanna know more about what we talked about today? Take a look at the show notes for handy links and more deets. I'm your co-host, Casey Golden.
1: And I'm your host, Ricardo Belmar. If you'd like to connect with us, follow us on Twitter at KCCgolden and Ricardo underscore Belmar, or find us on LinkedIn. Be sure and follow the show on Twitter at Retail Razor, on LinkedIn, and on our YouTube channel for sneak peeks at future episodes and bonus content.
2: Thanks for joining us.
1: And remember, there's never been a better time to be in retail if you cut through the clutter. Until next time, this is the Retail Razor Show.